0: Well, hey, thanks so much for being here. If you don't know me, my name is uh, Andrew. I get to serve as one of our pastors, and I'm losing my voice. So uh, if it goes out completely, then this will be really interesting. But thanks so much for being here. If, If you would describe yourself as someone that isn't a follower of Jesus or somebody that maybe feels far from God, or is uh, someone with questions and doubts, man, we are so glad you're with us, and there's nothing that you could ask that's off-limits. We want to create a safe space for you, so thanks for being here. Uh, I have a quick question for you. Have, have you ever laughed at a joke that you didn't actually fully understand? Anybody? Yeah? Uh, I think all of us have probably done that, and I have done that more than most people. And the reason why is, so I'm going to justify myself here, the reason why is I was homeschooled for the first part of my life growing up, and we also didn't have cable television. And so there's just a lot of pop culture references that I don't get or understand. So there are times where people are, they'll make some weird statement and everybody laughs, and I feel the weird pressure. It's like, man, I don't want to be the only person not laughing. So I laugh too. And I don't know what's being described. I didn't realize that was a line from a famous movie that everyone in the whole world saw except for me. And so my, my friends have learned this about me. And it's really embarrassing, actually. Instead of just me being able to get away with it, now they'll point the finger and like, do you know what we're talking about? Do you know that pop, pop culture reference? And so now I'm busted, right? And, and I can't get out of... Uh, avoiding the fact that they're just things happening in culture that I don't fully understand. Now, here's why I bring that up. Because over the next few days, over the next week or so, there's going to be some incredible parties thrown in our city. There's going to be some great gifts exchanged. There's going to be some feasting and all of us just enjoying some celebration. The whole world really is throwing a party. And in the Midwest, many, many people are going to be doing this not fully getting the joke right not fully understanding why is everybody celebrating what are they what are they so joyful for like what's the point of the 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 whole thing that we're doing here and so what I want to do this morning is just take a few minutes with you to unpack why you could actually celebrate. Now, maybe you know bits and pieces of the story. Uh, maybe you've heard Luke 2 read and the Charlie Brown Christmas movie. That is one that I have seen. And, uh, and, and maybe, maybe you're familiar with some of the basic aspects of the story of Jesus coming into the world, but you're kind of like, what is the big deal here? Why is everybody so joyful? Well, I want to speak into that. And really, the reality of Christmas— was given to us in that song as the angels were announcing and singing the reality of Jesus coming into the world. Look at this in Luke 2, verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news, right? This is the message of Christmas. I have good news to tell you. It's gonna result in profound joy, and this is for everybody. Now, maybe when you hear that, you're like, yeah, right. Like maybe if you grew up in church, uh, you're struggling to see how this is good news. How is Christianity and the message of Jesus actually good news? For many of you, what you received uh, from other Christians or from the church was not good news. It was just good advice, right? Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls who do. And I'm not even sure if that's actually good advice. That's just advice, right? Um, it, by the way, if you're here and you're a, a lady who chews tobacco, I would love to meet you after the service, right? I would just, it'd be so great. Um, but but maybe that's all you heard was, hey, don't do this and do this and live like this. And, and that to you was the message of Christianity. Good news? Maybe it wasn't good news to you. M- maybe instead of it being uh, good news that resulted in great joy, maybe the message of, Christian, of Christianity for you was like, yeah, that just resulted in more condemnation, thank you very much. Or instead of finding great joy, you found uh, great disillusionment, like how is this true? Or maybe it's just, um, you found instead of great joy, it was great pain, as, as some of the primary wounds that you carry were from the hands of other Christians. Like, how is this good news How is it resulting in great joy? And maybe you're like, for everybody, no way. Like, Christians are the people that are the good people, or at least the people that want to be good and want to be moralistic, and I'm just not religious, and I'm not that type of person. How is it good news resulting in great joy for literally everybody? So that's what I want to unpack to you today, why you can actually go into the next few days and celebrate appropriately. So here's the first thing. I just got three things that I want you to see. Here's the first thing I want you to see. In Christmas, here's the good news. God Came near. Now, I need to unpack that for just a minute. In Christmas, God came near. Um, the, the primary religious framework of most people in Oklahoma is what sociologist Christian Smith labeled moralistic therapeutic deism. And what this is at its core is just this reality that yes, there is a God, but he's distant and he's far away. And he doesn't really need to have any interaction with our lives today. So yeah, he's there, but we don't need him to be particularly involved in our life. And if we just try to live a good life, if we try to be uh, nice and good and fair and treat each other with respect and just pursue our own personal happiness, then that's really what matters at the end of the day. And, and if we get into a crisis or something terrible happens, we can always pray and call out to Him. But other than that, God is there, and He can just stay in the distance, and we'll just live our lives. And if we do more good things than bad things, then we can make it to the good place one day. That's moralistic, therapeutic deism, and that's kind of the, the primary religious framework of people in Oklahoma. But, but it's not just this. It's so, so religious people say, yeah, God is, he's there, but he's really, really far away, and we've got to go find him. You, you also have, in our city, you have atheists. Maybe you're here, and you're an atheist, and you would say, I don't even believe God is there. I actually don't even believe that there is a God. There's no proof. And so for you, that's your primary religious framework is there is no God, and he can't be found. There's no proof. Uh, many of you know this, but um, as Americans and the Russians in the late 50s and early 60s, there was this race to get to space. And Americans happened to be the first to land on the moon, to land a, a person on the moon. But the Russians were actually the first in 1961 to send a human to space. So the guy's name was Yuri Gagarin, and he was famous for coming back. And in an interview, they were asking him about his trip, and, and he said, I went up into the space and, and I didn't see God there. There is no God. I didn't see God there. And C.S. Lewis responded to that statement by Uri, and he said, no, Uri, that's not how it works. You can't, like, go high enough into space and then run into God. That's not the way it works. And he goes on to say this. He says, if there is a God who created the world and created us, I could no more meet him than Hamlet could meet Shakespeare. If Hamlet wants to prove that there's a Shakespeare, He's not gonna be able to do it in a lab, nor is he going to be able to find Shakespeare by going up into the top of the stage. The only way he will know something about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes something about himself into the play. So religious people say, yeah, God's there, but he's, he's distant and he's far off. Atheists say, yeah, God isn't there, there's no proof. We went up into the heavens, we went up into the space, and we didn't see him. But Christmas, here's the message of Christmas, It's that God actually wrote himself into the story and he came very, very near. Look at Luke 2, verse 10 again. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Why, what is this? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. How much more uh, close could you get than God, not just staying in the distance and demanding that we find a way to get to him, but the message of Christmas is that God found a way to get to us. He wrote himself into the story, and he came very near, near as in he, he took on our humanity. He couldn't come closer than that. That's the message of Christmas, and, and, and here's what's so crazy. Did you notice who received this good news of God coming near? Shepherds. What's the big deal about shepherds? Maybe you've got them on your mantle at home, or maybe you've got them decorated somewhere in the house, and you kind of look at shepherds as, yeah, they're probably fine people, and, and they're probably fun to hang out with, and they're probably nice guys, but in the reality, in first century culture, shepherds were some of the, the most lowly, worst of the worst uh, riffraff, if you will. Like, you would not want your kids hanging out with shepherds. They were very, uh, they, were con- they were seen as, as almost dangerous to society. In fact, in the first century, a shepherd's uh, voice, if he saw a crime committed, his testimony would not be valid in a court of law. That's how badly this culture viewed shepherds. And yet, who gets the announcement of the greatest news on earth? It's a group of shepherds that everybody else has written off, and God says, I've got good news for you. There's a God who is drawing near to you. Maybe today, maybe this week during this Christmas season, you feel a little bit like these shepherds. You feel overwhelmed at your own sin. You feel filled with shame and guilt from past things that you've done. Maybe there's current addictions that are getting the better of you, and you feel like the lowest of the low, and you feel like you don't have anything to offer. Man, the message of Christmas is not build a ladder to get to God. He's out there. Go find him somewhere. The message of Christmas is that God saw you, and he knew you, and he came down the ladder of heaven to get to you. He came near. This is profoundly good news. And he actually wants to be close to you. Your sin doesn't perpetually turn him off. He sees your sin, and he still wants to be close to you. Now, that's the first thing I want you to see, that God came near. But it's not just the fact that he came near that's good news. It's how he decided to come near that is profoundly good news. So the second thing I want you to see is in Christmas, God came to sympathize. God came to to sympathize. Uh, When you envision God coming from heaven to earth, what sort of picture comes to mind? Maybe you have this image of this powerful deity clothed in authority and strength coming down on a cloud of fire just announcing, heralding, I'm the king over every king. I'm I'm the God of gods. I'm the Lord of lords. Here I am. And maybe that's your picture of God coming close to us. But here's how it's described to us in Luke 2.11. For unto you is born this day. Did you see that? Born, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, instead of God coming as this fiery, powerful deity, he comes as a baby who is born, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. The the medium is the message. Here's what I mean by that. The way that God decided to come close to us tells us some things about him that we desperately need to know. It tells us that he he entered the muck and the mire of our humanity and he didn't, he didn't enter a perfectly curated world. He stepped into a world of darkness and brokenness and didn't do so just as God. But the whole point of Christmas is that as God, he became a human baby and he clothed himself with our humanity. Now, that doesn't mean that he was wrapped in a skin suit as if he appeared to be God. No, Christmas tells us that God actually became a baby. The church fathers used to say it like this, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. So it's not that he ceased to be God, but he actually fully took on our humanity. Now I can just tell from, from your face, like that, you're, you're not, your mind isn't blown by that. So let me just read you one author who fully describes this, I think, in a helpful way. He says, the omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who is larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows and elbows and two kidneys and a spleen. And he stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. Now we could go on and describe this, but here's this reality that that what this means, here's the good news, is that when you are going through suffering and pain and problems and there's stuff in this world that hurts and you don't fully even understand it and you're wondering like, man, why would God put me through this? The reality of Christmas is that God didn't just come near to you in your suffering and in your sin, but he actually clothed himself with our humanity so that when you are suffering, he knows exactly what that feels like. He put on our humanity and what it is to be human. He took on the full human condition to feel things like temptation and weakness and suffering and sickness and disappointments and pain and confusion and loneliness and betrayal and brokenness and sadness and even death, there's nothing that you could experience as a human that Jesus doesn't understand, not just because he's God, but because he's lived it and tasted it. That's profoundly good news. John Calvin says this, he says, Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. Listen to how the Bible describes the full humanity of Jesus, and let this sink in. The Bible says that Jesus felt compassion, that he was angry, indignant, consumed with zeal, He was troubled, greatly distressed, very sorrowful, depressed, deeply moved, grieved. Says that he sighed, he wept, he sobbed, he groaned, he was in agony. Jesus was surprised and amazed. He rejoiced very greatly and was full of joy. He greatly desired and he loved. The Bible says that Jesus was deeply moved in his his spirit and greatly troubled. He even weeps. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Listen, Jesus was mocked by people that didn't know him. He was betrayed with a kiss from one closest to him. He was denied three times by a brother, and he felt the full emotions of becoming the forsaken one on the cross. There is nothing that you are walking through today that Jesus doesn't understand and that he can't actively sympathize with. That's the good news of Christmas. Dorothy Sayers, one of my favorite authors, uh, was responding to a group of people that said, God's just playing games with us. He's like this bully with a magnifying glass and we're the ants and he's just burning us. And all the suffering and all the experiences and all the pain, he's just bullying us. Well, Dorothy Sayers responds and she says, for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He, God, has the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he's playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and he died in disgrace and he thought it was worthwhile. See, one of the things that I see as a pastor every Christmas is people that come and they say, yeah, this is not my favorite time of year. I lost a loved one or I lost a child or my my marriage broke up around Christmas or maybe just the pain of the holidays brings up all these other pains that you've carried in your chest the, the other 11 months and it just didn't quite come to the surface but something about Christmas causes it to and all these other pains of loneliness and isolation and all this stuff and as a pastor instead of being filled with joy what's often happening is just overwhelmed with, with sorrow and depression and sadness and here's the good news that Jesus looks at you not with like hey man just get your act together why can't you get control of yourself Jesus looks at you and he is the one who wept when he was here he is the one who still weeps with you and for you now He's with you, he came close to you, and he can sympathize with you. And that leads me to the last thing I want you to see. It's not just that Jesus came to sympathize, but Jesus came to save. In Christmas, God came to save. It wasn't like, man, I feel for you. That's really terrible. I hope it works out. It was, man, that's really horrible. I'm gonna do something about it. And the message of Christmas is, in fact, the greatest search and rescue story that's ever been told the history of stories. It's really interesting, isn't it? Have you ever been lost as a child? Like maybe when you were a young kid, your parents left you at a grocery store or a gas station, they drove off, and you kind of get that panicked feeling in your chest. Did that ever happen to you? Uh, It happened to me all the time because I'm one of 10, and I don't even know if my parents know that I'm still alive, right? Like, I, they actually left me 11 years ago. I'm just kidding. So uh, I, I remember multiple times, actually, being left at a grocery store, and I'd have this panicked feeling like, oh, I'm gonna starve to death. Oh, wait, I'm surrounded by groceries. Okay, at least I won't starve to death. I'll be okay. But they've forgotten about me. You know, 10, 15, 20 minutes later, they come back, and, and you're relieved. It's, it's a scary feeling to be a child and to be lost, isn't it? The only thing more scary than being a child who is lost is being a parent who has lost a child you ever seen a parent lose a child? They go ballistic. Liam Neeson, case study number one. I will, I will kill everybody to find my child, right? It, it's just one of those things that it's like, I don't know, we, we start to freak out. Like, I thought you had Jimmy. Where's Jimmy? Oh my gosh, like I'll turn over tables. Where's Jimmy? Jimmy, and you just make a fool of yourself trying to find your lost child. There's nothing you wouldn't do to get your child back. Words matter. They're really important. And the religious leaders, they described sinful people like us as sinners over and over in the New Testament. Do you know how Jesus frequently describes you and I? Lost. That frames the way God sees you. Yeah, are you a sinner? Yeah, but how does God feel about you? You're lost. And the story of Christmas is God saying, I will do whatever it takes to find you and to get you back. That's why he says this, Jesus in Luke 19.10, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The message of Christmas is that God wanted to be close to you and he wanted to sympathize with you, but he wanted to save and rescue you. And this is bizarre how he chooses to do it is absolutely unbelievable. See, there's something that you and I often miss out on in Luke chapter two, that if you were in the first century and and understood the Jewish culture, you would automatically, instinctively pick up on, but because we're so removed 2,000 years later, there's, there's something really beautiful happening here in the angel's announcement, and we just gloss right over it because we're not aware of this Jewish culture. So let me read it to you. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Look at this. And this will be a sign for you. A sign. What's the sign? You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, to you, that might not feel like a sign. You're like, where's the sign about that sign? I mean, I'm confused. Where's the baby? What does this have to do with anything? But in the first century, this Jewish culture would have understood exactly what's being described here. There was something right outside of Bethlehem on the outskirts of Bethlehem called the Tower of the Flock. It was an actual tower Uh, in Hebrew, Migdal Adar. Migdal Adar was where these uh, shepherds would watch over their flocks, and and listen, this wasn't just like a normal, ordinary flock. The shepherds were watching over a very specific flock with a very specific purpose. The flock at Migdal Adar was the the very flock that would be used in the Jewish sacrificial system, which was something that God had set up. uh, As you and I sin, he had set up the system of sacrifice so that you and I could, through that sacrifice, have communion with God. And so what would happen is in the winter months, the shepherds would go into the tower, and there's this lower section made out of uh, uh, limestone, and it was called a manger, right? And what they would do is they'd bring these sheep in that are about to give birth, and as the, these baby lambs are being born, the shepherd would literally wrap it in swaddling cloth, this is, this is like Jewish history 101. They'd wrap it in swaddling cloth, and they'd lay these lambs in a manger, and then a priest would come by that was working with the shepherds, and they would take the male lambs, and they would try to figure out which ones were spotless and which one were without blemish because those would be the ones that would be used in the Passover sacrifice. That's why they'd wrap them in, in swaddling cloth so they wouldn't be thrashing about, and they could check them out and make sure that they didn't have any spots or any blemishes And those male lambs without spot and blemish were set aside to one day live their entire existence to be used as a Passover sacrifice so the sins of the people could be forgiven and they could experience communion with God. And the angel announces to these shepherds, hey, here's the sign for you. You're gonna find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. See the gospel imagery imagery is so rich from day one of Jesus' existence, he was born to die and not as a helpless victim, not as someone who was uh, being controlled by the Roman Empire or the religious leaders of his day. Jesus came to die and to lay his life down for us out of his own accord. He came so that he could live the life that we couldn't live, and on the cross, what he does is he absorbs the full weight of our sin and all the the grossness and the, the things that we have done, and he experiences the judgment of God in our place so that for you and for I, there would only be an announcement of good news, there's a savior, he's forgiven you, he's taken away your sins, just come to this Jesus as king and receive the forgiveness that he has purchased for you. This is the story of Christmas. He came to die for you and then rise again so that he could offer new life and hope and a new identity. And this is why John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, the message of Christmas isn't try harder, do more, clean up your act, stop sinning, get over that addiction. The message of Christmas to you is that you are deeply loved by God, and He wants to be close to you, and you've been lost, and He came to find you, and He died the death that you deserve to die, and He rose again to offer you grace. That's the message of Christmas. That's why we throw parties. That's why we exchange gifts. That's why we drink good drinks. That's why we have fun because God has reconciled us to himself. Nothing that we did, he did it all. See, God didn't send us a book or a prophet or an ideology. He didn't send us a philosophy or an argument. Everybody's making arguments. Atheists make logical arguments about God and they debate theory. Jews make theological arguments about God Moderns make pragmatic arguments. Postmoderns make existential arguments. Why are we even here? Millennials, we don't make arguments at all. We just yell and scream and tweet about everything, right? God doesn't make an argument. He doesn't send us a book. He sends us a person. The person's name is Jesus. Let me close with this. This is from my good friend Charlie Hall. He says, sadness needs joy. Joy is a person. Anxiety needs peace. Peace is a person. Weaklings need a warrior. The warrior is a person. Depression needs hope. Hope is a person. Confession needs counsel. The mighty counselor is a person. Orphans need a father. The everlasting father is a person who can be experienced through Jesus. And so you have an option here. You can either reject this Jesus and continue to live your life as your own king, doing your own thing, walking in your own authority, calling the shots for your own life, or you can lay that way of life down and follow Jesus in his way. Today, what you can do instead of rejecting Jesus, you can receive Jesus, and he will receive you as you are.